Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Slasher Scotty. I am your host, Scotty McCoy, and boy, do I have a surprise for all of you. I have on Zoom with me right now Mark Scheffler, and he played Junior Stillo in The Last House on the Left, the original one. Hey, Mark, how are you doing today? I'm fine, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Not a problem. So glad to have you on. Uh, first question I got for you. How did you get your start into acting? Um, I think I started uh, um, my acting career when I learned how to play characters and wiggle out of trouble when I was a little kid. Um, I found that if I could divert attention away from whatever had happened by mimicking some character from television that uh, my parents, my father especially, uh, would just uh, let go of whatever it was he wanted to tell me and start being entertained. So it's just, it's been, it's been something that I've always wanted to do. And, you know, I kind of, uh, I aim myself. I, I tell people that all the time that, that um, nothing happens by accident. And if you really want this or anything in life, that, once you recognize it, you sort of have to aim yourself there. Mm -hmm. And so I did. And, you know, I, I was very lucky that I had a father who was like uh, unbelievably supportive of me. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not in my regular house. I'm, I'm actually in Colombia right now, the country of oh, Colombia. Uh, yeah. Um, in my mother-in-law's house outside, outside of Bogota. So okay. I don't have around me all the stuff that I usually do when I do podcasts, uh, one of which is a, a picture of me and the Three Stooges when I was 10 years old, because nice. uh, my father hired them to perform at my birthday party. Nice. So and then they brought me up on stage. And I, I, that was that was probably the actual moment when, uh, you know, I look back and I, I say, well, you know, how did I get here? And uh, how did I even know I wanted to be here? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think probably that moment of being on stage at 10 with the Stooges uh, in front of an audience, you know, that was loving it. Yeah. Uh, it probably, you know, first one's free. Right. <laughs> so yep. that was that, that that was pretty much, uh, you know, my my version of uh, of uh, tripping out in an opium den. Right. For the first time. Nice. That's awesome. So what was your audition like for the last house on the left? So I had a manager in New York who actually was in the movie. Uh, the guy who played Dr. Collingwood, Dick Towers, nice. who, who uh, was just like just the, the sweetheart of sweetheart guys. And he was my manager. He worked for a company uh, called Lloyd Greenfield and Associates. They had Tom Jones and Engelbert Humperdinck at the time. So they were a pretty big name management agency. Mm -hmm. And they had me and some other uh, theatrical clients. Uh, and I was doing a little stand up. I was, you know, starting my stand up career. So uh, I walked into Dick's office one day and he said, hello, darling, I have a, an audition for you. And I say, it was very New York theatrical, this guy. He was just fucking great. And, and I'd say, uh, uh, where? He said, I want you to go down to 56th Street, 53rd Street, somewhere. Anyway, I have it written down here. Go down there and go into this building at this address. Go up to the sixth floor, I believe. Yes, I have it written down, sixth floor. And ask for two fellows. One is named Wes and the other is named Sean. And you tell them I sent you. So I take this slip of paper and I go down and I go into the building, uh, go, follow Dick's instructions, go up. I meet a long, blonde, shaggy haired guy, stringy blonde hair, 
a skinny guy, you know, uh, hippie looking fella and another shorter guy with a mustache, a little chubby. And uh, he was dressed kind of, you know, just like with a regular shirt and a pair of pants. The other guy was in a T-shirt and some kind of ratty blue jeans. And he, that guy was Wes. And then this other guy was Sean. And they told me what they were doing. And they made me read the scene, the uh, dream scene in Last House, where, you know, I'm dreaming about the, the horrors that happen. Right. And I did it. I shook hands with them. I said, thanks a lot for the opportunity. And they said, no problem. And then I went downstairs. And by the time I had gotten back to Dick's office, when I walked in, well, 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 darling, apparently you impressed them. I said, what is it? They want you. Nice. I said, Are you fucking kidding me? He said, nope, nope. You're going to go to Connecticut for four weeks and you're going to make a movie. And I said, get the fuck out of here. Right. Nice. So, yeah, that's basically what happened, man. That, that's wow. the, that's that's the truth of it. Hey, I didn't know. I, I don't know if you know this, um, but tomorrow um, Last House is screening at the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. Nice. Uh, a friend of mine, I, it's unfucking believable. A friend of mine sent me uh, a, a, a flyer mm-hmm. and, and I looked at it and the museum is doing an exhibition on uh, visceral films, you know, films that, that reach out and touch the flesh of human beings, right? Mm-hmm. You know, in some way. Right. And, you know, like in Casablanca of all the gin joints and all the world, she had to walk into mine. Like, like of all the horror films and slasher films and shit yeah. that's been made, you know, mm-hmm. over the last five decades, they picked ours. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like seriously blown away by that. Right. Like, yeah. you know, all the, all the hoopla about it, that's, that's, that's fine. And, you know, mostly it's West and, and uh, mm-hmm. I was just a part of it, but this, this one thing about being, being part of an exhibit at the museum, Museum of Modern Art. That this is sort mm-hmm. of tr- like personally tripping me. It's making me a fanboy yeah. of myself. If any nice. Sense. Yeah, I agree. So, speaking of Wes and Sean, how was Wes as a director, and what was it like working with Sean, who was the producer on the film? Okay, those are two different answers. Okay. Um, Wes, you got to remember that when, and I tell tell people this all the time, when Wes, when we were doing less uh, uh, last house, Wes Craven wasn't Wes Craven. Right. Wes Craven was just this guy named Wes who's going to direct this that he wrote. Yep. At least 10 years before Nightmare on Elm Street. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And he, first of all, he was, he was this, you know, I, I, I've been very lucky. I, I've come in contact with 99.9% just really nice people, just people who are, you know, just regular people who have sort of irregular jobs. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so uh, um, he was great. You know, it was a learning experience for him. He knew what he wanted all the time. You know, Mm -hmm. he knew like, like everybody who ends up being good, you always, you always know in your head and in your heart, what you Mm -hmm. want. And then the experience part is learning the mechanics of, of how to, you know, get there. Right. Yeah. And Sean was Sean. Sean is an excellent producer, you know. I mean, uh, he 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 had made one feature before that. It was like a documentary, a pseudo documentary called Together, which you know uh, was this kind of, I guess you could say, a send up on all the Kinsey Report mm-hmm. sex stuff, you know, that he did. Right. And uh, I think I think he 
you know, he he's become a very good producer. I, you know, I would uh, I would trust any anything that he was producing mm-hmm. to get to get made to get made well and come mm-hmm. in, you know, uh, on time yep. and and on it. Right. And I mean, like you mentioned that uh, this is, you know, at least 10 years or so before Nightmare for Wes and decades before Scream. And with Sean, oh, it was absolutely. like seven or eight years before Friday the 13th. So at the time when this movie was being made, they weren't, you know, Sean no. Cunningham and Wes Craven. Right. And and um, we were all, you know, this was all like a, a master class of learning mm-hmm. experience for us. Yeah. Because we were, you know, we. We, you know, I tell people all the time, uh, we didn't know what we didn't know. And yeah. and that made it really easy for us to just try anything, mm-hmm. you know, to get yeah. to get what Wes wanted. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. Uh, that, that, that's what we did. And that's a, one of the reasons why I think the film has uh, had a, an incredible life. Mm-hmm. The, the, the screening at the museum, just it's mm-hmm. still going. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Years later, it's still going. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that your uh, your death scene was getting sh- you shot yourself. Um, so how were the effects done for that? Well, they were very kind of what's known as on the day effects, right? The, mm-hmm. the nothing nothing in post. So what what they did was uh, if you if you remember how it was shot, mm-hmm. they were, it, they kept cutting back and forth between David, who was egging me on to shoot myself, me holding the gun and then a side shot. And as he moved closer to me, uh, uh, we got closer, uh, obviously. And then it goes through a shot of his face and then there's a gunshot off camera. And then it's back to me after immediately afterwards. So we shot the front part. Uh, and then we took a break, as I recall. And then they sewed, uh, they, they had a plast, a latex uh, uh, impression of what my brain might look like mm-hmm. uh, as the victim of a gunshot, right? And they took my hair and there were perforations all the way around it. And they took my uh, strands of my hair, which was quite long, and they ran them through. They basically sewed the thing into the back of my head. Nice. And then dressed it with stage blood and some bone fragments and whatever. Mm-hmm. And th- so they were able to capture that. So if you remember, there's that scene where I slide down the wall yeah. and there's a blood streak that, you know, follows my head. Or, uh, and that's because they had put all that stage blood on my head so that when I did that, that leave that trail. Nice. So I had nice. to remember that dead, dead as I was, I had to press my head up against the wall. <laughs> so what was the okay, best? I can remember Wes saying, don't forget to press your head up against the wall. We need that shot. Okay. But you're dead. You're dead. So just pray, you know, like you're back. Right. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that, that was a really good shot. And I mean, it's simple to make, but it, it, I mean, people like when you look at it, it looks more complex than it really is. But it's all on the actor. It's all on the actor because they need to make it look legit without acting yeah. like they're alive. Yeah, we we didn't have the luxury of, uh, you know, either obviously tech, the technology that exists today <laughs> or even uh, anything more than like you know, traditional movie makeup stuff. Mm-hmm. We, we didn't, you know, we use, you know, bags and tubes and, you know, mm-hmm. shit that was been around, you know, processes that have been around for years, but yeah. um, we didn't, we didn't have anything really fancy. 
yeah. you know, we didn't have any squibs or anything like, you know, like nothing like that. It was very old school. Right. And, and in a way, you know, I, I, I talk about it at conventions. I talk about why I think last house had such a multi-sensory impact. Right. Mm-hmm. And I believe that it's the simplicity of it. Like you just yeah. said, I, I think that, that it's not a video game. You know, it doesn't it doesn't look like screen violence that takes on the right. the sub narrative of being of being sort of like a video game. Right. Right. This this and and to Wes's credit, it was always his intention to bring this this horrible violence mm-hmm. uh, downstage center. Right. And put it mm-hmm. put it right in front of people's faces and say, yeah. hey, this is what it really this is what it really looks like. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh- Yep. And the likes of like Halloween having a budget of 300,000 or so and Friday the 13th of 550,000 or so Nightmare on Elm Street having a smaller budget. This film is way smaller than those other films even. And those were small budgets. $93,000. Yeah. 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 And it it, it did pretty decent. It made its money back and then some. It's (laughs) if, if not anymore, it was at one time. The highest are there's this thing called the ROI number, right? Mm-hmm. Return on investment number. Yeah. So it, I believe, had like the highest ROI ratio nice. uh, uh, for a long time. It still might, but it did for, I know right. it did for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. $93,000 and they've made probably 70 million from it. Yeah, absolutely. Astronomical amounts <laughs> compared to what it yeah, was made with. Now. It's all profit now because everything is delivered delivered digitally, and so yeah. you know there's no shipping costs. No, you know, it used to be you'd have to if you made a movie like yeah. when when Last House broke. It was originally made to be a uh, uh, part of a double feature for a, a chain of drive-ins in New England, okay. a company called Hallmark Releasing, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, they ran their numbers and realized if they put this amount of money, meaning the ninety three thousand, into it, yeah. that they could run this film in their own theaters over X amount of years and they make their money back and then they could sell off the rights. And so they had it figured out mm-hmm. pretty much that it, for this number, it, it, it had an intrinsic value, right? It, yeah. it, it was worth more made than not made. Yeah. So, so what happened was we did that. That's exactly what happened. And then like three months or so, I, I want to say after the actual release date, Roger Ebert writes a three and a half out of four star review of Last House. Mm-hmm. And when I use the word literally overnight, I actually mean literally overnight. Mm-hmm. Everything changed. I walked into Sean's office on the, that day and he was running around like a lunatic trying to figure out <laughs> how he was going to fill an order for 800 prints, you know, yeah. <laughs> because everybody wanted to see it now. And, and yeah. for about two weeks, it was a, a top 10 movie in the United States. Yeah. It was. So yeah. that's, again, kind of trippy for me. Yeah, absolutely. So what was the best part about filming Last House on the left? And what was the worst? What was what was the best part of I, your question? What, what was the best part of filming it? And what was the worst? Well, the best part of filming was uh, the fact that I was filming it. Right. right? Yeah. And there was no there was no worst part. Mm-hmm. I didn't have it did, never had a worst part. It, nice. Taught me it taught me a great deal mm-hmm. uh i i knew became friends with wes and sean and yeah you know i mean david hess became like the big brother i never had marty cove 
Jeremy yeah. Rain, Fred Lincoln. I made lifelong friends. I mean, there was, yeah. there was literally nothing. There was no, no worse mm-hmm. part of it at all. Nice. Absolutely. And you got to be in a cult classic. Like who can, it, there's not many that can say they were in an actual cult classic. There you go. That's, yep. that's, you know, that's, you know, it's, it's funny. It's like, um, I've had this weird kind of career that, that, uh, I call, uh, my very successful mediocre career. <laughs> and, and I, and what I mean by that is that, yeah, I haven't made a ton of movies. However, the one movie that I really was part of is, is a, is an actual part of American film history yeah. and is a seriously well-represented cult film. So, Absolutely. you know, and it's like, and it's like, you know, like in my entire 50 plus year career in show business as a professional, I've only been hit on by one gay man, but <laughs> no, no, because no, you hear about things like, you know, this, but it's all nonsense, but I've right. only been hit on by one gay nice. man in my entire. However, the one gay man who did hit on me was Liberace. Nice. And, and in front of lots of people. So I'm, you know, there are wit- witnesses awesome. to this. So, so I've, I've had that kind of weird career where, mm-hmm. you know, I find myself, I find myself uh, in, really rarefied mm-hmm. space at times and wondering just what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, really, awesome. I've, 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 I've had, I, and I still like that. I just, mm-hmm. you know, even, I'm, even though I've been through everything and yeah, I've had a pretty good career and I earned it mm-hmm. and whatever, I still, you know, like I still sometimes go to places and, and just look around and say, what am I doing here? And then somebody, you know, Mm-hmm. Some celebrity I know comes up and says, "Hey man, how you doing? How have you been? What's going on?" You know, and right. I say, "Oh yeah, oh yeah, the long That's it. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, you were in the original of the film, but there was also a remake of the same film. So did you see That's that right. remake, and what did you think of it compared I, to the original? Okay, I I I avoided seeing it mm-hmm. uh, because I'm not a big fan of remakes. Yeah, and you know, I'm just not, especially if it was something. You know, a remake of a film that kind of was okay but didn't work with an updated cast, I can see. But what we did was very hard to replicate because it, yeah. it was the time. It was it was the time in the country. It was it was um, the it was every factor. It was the way we shot it. It was Wes's inexperience. It was you know uh, uh, the fact that Hess. We all of us were unknowns. And mm-hmm. nobody knew who the fuck we were. And so, we're, you know, we're like people, were these real people? I mean, you know, it wasn't, it was a whole bunch of factors. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't really want to see it. But then a company, a, a, a film magazine out of uh, England uh, contacted me and wanted to know if I would write a compare and contrast mm-hmm. uh, article uh, comparing the original with the second one. Mm-hmm. So then I did sit down and watch it. And, you know, it led watching it led me to the to my opening uh, uh, statement in the in the article, which was mm-hmm. my biggest question is if the first film didn't exist, would this second film stand alone on its own feet? Right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I didn't think that was true with that re, with the remake. I thought it was overproduced. I think, you know, I, I no disrespect to the guy who directed it, but I think he was more interested in shots than telling a story 
mm-hmm. then then you know and that and that when you take a story that is that's so uh, uh visceral and yeah. and emotionally gut-wrenching as the bare bone story of last house and then you trick it up with fancy camera shots and you know effects yeah. and all kinds of shit you dilute it you know yeah. you you that that's what the term what i use the term overproduced is is you put you you made more out of it than it needed to be and in doing yeah. so you took away from its rawness you know you took yeah. away from what it was really about so yeah. that's i i i that's that's my only yeah. it's not even a criticism it's just a personal yeah point of view you know it's it's, it's and not, i agree I I mean, with all these reboots and remakes happening, like Nightmare on Elm Street from 2010, that completely like obliterated the like what the 1984 film, the original, was about. Like, it just wasn't good. And like, why are they r- trying to ruin these classics? Leave them in the 80s. Let 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 us remember them. If you want to do something new, create a sequel. If you have to, <laughs> like, don't yeah. remake the yeah, original. Tell, tell, tell an origin story or something, but, but yeah. just. But what I what I didn't take to, you know, and I, I hate to use the words like I hated it. I liked it because that, that that's personal judgment. So what, what, right. let me let me just say that what, what I didn't respond to as as I guess a member of the audience and as somebody who was in the original was that kind of overproduction of it. Um, it just. It took it just to me diluted and took away from from just how tragic the story was. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. I completely agree. And sometimes like, you know, movies aren't meant to be rebooted. If anything, tell a different story based on that, but don't redo the story. It's like to me, you know, I also wrote in the article, I said, it's like, you know, to me, like sometimes rewriting a book that, you know, doing a like Moby Dick 2022, right? Like, right. Well, how would that make any sense? Right. Exactly. Or or why like needed to be when when it took place, because that was part of the struggle. Right. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, that's like some that's like, you know, somebody saying, hey, I'm going to I'm going to rewrite and release a book redo the shining or redo pet cemetery and make it my own right like why <laughs> it's a classic leave it alone something else just yeah right i agree with you just leave it alone please yeah. just, you know. <laughs> exactly so nobody, the last question go ahead. Walks into the louvre. i'm just saying nobody walks into the louvre looks up at a rembrandt to say they gotta repaint that right exactly <laughs> it, absolutely so the, the last question i do got for you is do you have any other projects in the works to promote to the listening viewing audience any convention appearances websites or social media accounts to promote as well um i am on facebook and instagram okay um and i'm writing a book right now okay. i'm writing a fictionalized version of seven years of my life between the time i was uh 14 and 21 that begins with this kind of um, father and son Mm -hmm. promise deal agreement that one of these days I was going to star in a movie that's going to be up on a screen in a certain theater in Pittsburgh where I grew up Yeah. to seven years later when that actually happened. And uh, it's the journey from that, from the promise to the reality, you know? So I just finished just finished the first year and you know it just proved to myself that i could write it awesome that's that's what i'm doing 
Awesome. Sounds good. Um, so I thank you so much, Mark, for uh, joining me. Uh, stay tuned to Mark's social media to find out when the book is ready for release. You can where you can get it. Definitely. It's called those, it's called those seven years. Awesome. That's Sounds good. I thank you so much, Mark, for joining me tonight today. Hi, right, man. You, All right, you have a great rest of your day. You as well. All right. Bye.